Let's pray together. Father, we bow in this moment, O oh God, to sit under your word. So God, we pray that you would speak, O oh Lord, to us by your word. And we pray that by your spirit you would apply your truth to our hearts. That God, whatever anxieties, whatever cares, whatever worries, whatever thoughts that might be consuming our minds right now, whatever things might distract us from you. And I pray that we would be disciplined to bring them before you, to give them over to you at the foot of the cross, to look to you, to trust you, and to receive your holy word. Uh, speak to us, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to turn this morning to the book of Matthew. As we continue to wind down the Sermon on the Mount, we will be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20 this morning. When we first moved in our, our house, roughly, I guess it was around 20 years ago, you know, in 20 years' time, trees change a lot and grow a lot, and so a lot of the trees were were quite young and at our house that had been planted and across the back of our yard was a row of pine trees uh, across the back but there was there was one tree at the very corner that was different we didn't know what this tree was and if I remember right it was maybe a couple years two or three years living there before I really knew what it was and the way I knew was because I went back there one spring summer I guess it was summer and the ground was covered with apples. Now, I'm no botanist, right? But I knew it was there for an apple tree, right? And how did I know that? By the fruit, right? By the fruit that it produced. I, I wasn't examining everything about it. I didn't cut it down. I didn't take a limb and take it to be examined. I, I looked and apples were on the ground. And I knew it was an apple tree, it wasn't an orange tree, it wasn't a peach tree, it wasn't a fig tree, it was an apple tree. Today we will hear a similar illustration from our Lord reminding us that the fruit of a person's life shows us, reveals to us whether that person is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, whether that person is a believer or whether that person is an unbeliever, whether that person is a child of light or whether that person is a child of darkness, whether that person clings to and teaches the truth of God's word, or whether that person just looks like that and is actually one who proclaims falsehood, false teaching. So we come this morning to Jesus' second warning. You remember last week that I told you at the conclusion of the sermon that Jesus is going to give us four warnings. Last week, the warning was to make sure that you enter in by the narrow gate, that you avoid the wide gate that many find that's easy but leads to destruction, and instead that you would enter in by the narrow gate that few find that is difficult but leads to life. Today, we come to the second warning, and the second warning that Jesus gives us is quite simple and very important. Beware of false teachers. Beware of false teachers. Now, the question we would ask would be the question that we might ask of the trees. How do we know what tree is what? How do we know what teacher is false and what teacher is true? 
The answer that our Lord will give us is we will know by their fruits. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And Jesus begins immediately and and announces and states the warning. Right there in verse 15, he begins the warning of beware of false prophets. You see, Jesus knew that there would be those who would come in and would seek to devour, would seek to lead his people astray. They would seek to bring lies and teach lies, deception, false teaching. We, we know very well that this has been the scheme of, of Satan all the way back from the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, that his scheme has been to undermine the truth of God's word, to undermine the very veracity, the truthfulness, the validity of God's word. So the schemes of Satan are, are to twist the word of life to lead people into death. They are to distort the word of truth to lead people into falsehood, to hide the word of light, leading people into darkness, and to replace the word of salvation with words of bondage. Now here, what Jesus does, he warns us that the way of truth will be distorted, truth will be manipulated, but it will be done so perhaps subtly. It will be done so in a way that, that we need to recognize, we need to be watchful for, we need to look for. It will come by way, the, by way of those who proclaim to be prophets, who proclaim to be teachers of the word, yet are not. Now, when, when Jesus is teaching here and he says, beware of false prophets, we need to understand what the, the term prophet is. In the, in the Old Testament, the prophet was one who spoke a God-given message by way of God-given authority. So the prophets, if you just flip through your your Old Testament, you flip through the prophets, you'll hear them frequently begin, if not always begin, by saying what? Thus says the Lord. So they came forward saying, thus says the Lord. They were pronouncing God's message to God's people by God's authority. Now, Christ's coming, when Christ comes, he changes the announcement of the prophet's message. And why is this? The reason is because Christ was the ultimate and final revelation of God's message. So we read in John 1.14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When He says that the Word has become flesh, He's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the very Word of God made flesh who dwelt among us and revealed the truth of God's Word in its fullness. Hebrews 1.1 says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by the Son. It is God's Son, Jesus Christ, who has revealed truth to us. So that's the way this changes this is, is in this way. That the prophet no longer proclaims a new word from the Lord. 
but instead proclaims the revealed word of the Lord that was revealed through Christ, in Christ, and contained in the canon of Scripture. So now, instead of coming and presenting a new word and saying, thus says the Lord, we reveal, or we, instead of revealing a new word from Scripture, we come and we preach the revealed word of God, revealed through Christ in His holy word. It's an important thing we have to understand that, that one who comes teaching the truth should be anchored and grounded in the truth of God's word. There is no instance in our day in which one will bring a new word, a new point of revelation from the word. We need to be aware of then those who would say, thus says the Lord, God says, and yet it contradicts God's holy word. It's not in the scriptures. Now, Jesus says, beware of false prophets. Then he says, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's an important statement. There's there's three aspects of the statement that we we need to understand and we need need to look at briefly this morning. The first thing is he says, beware of false prophets who come to you, who come to you. Jesus is not merely warning about false teachings and ideologies of the world. He's talking about those who would come to us. We tend to be pretty observant. We tend as God's people to, to be able to spot things that are contrary to God's word in the world. We, we can see things that would be contrary to scripture. Those things tend to be uh, a little more apparent. A lot of you sitting in here would, could list things that you've heard or read on the news, you've heard news anchors say, or you've seen in movies and say, that is not in agreement with God's word. That's contrary to God's word. But Jesus isn't necessarily talking about that here. Specifically, what he's warning about are false prophets who come into the church, who come in among us. He, he's given the same warning that Paul gives in Acts 20. He's standing before the the elders in Ephesus, and he, he's departing, and he's giving them a, a final message, and he says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know, listen to what he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Do you, do you see what Paul's saying? Paul's saying the same thing that Jesus is saying here. He's saying you need to be aware. You need to watch for those who would come into your midst. Those who would come in among you and teach false teachings. Teach things contrary to the word of God. Listen. I think one of the most important things we can take from this word this morning is that as Grace Baptist Church, we cannot be lulled to sleep thinking that false teaching could never come into this place. We, we can't be lulled to sleep thinking that, you know what, false teaching is out there. It could never come in here. It could never occur in our Sunday school classes. It could never occur in grace equipping. It could never occur from the pulpit. It could never occur in the youth ministry. It could never come through ladies' Bible study. Oh, we're just, we don't have to worry about it. No, we need to be on guard. We can't be lulled to sleep in those areas. This is the importance, this is the importance of you, the congregation, the body of Christ, knowing God's word. 
That's why it's so critical that you need to be reading and studying and learning and growing in the truth so that you can discern the truth from a lie. It's not enough for the four pastors to know God's word. It's not enough for your Sunday school teachers to know God's word. Should we know it? Absolutely. Should they know it? Absolutely. And should you know it? Absolutely. It is important that you know the truth. The best way to spot a lie is by knowing the truth. And so it's vital that you grow in your knowledge of God's word, that you are a student of God's word to help us as a church, as a body, guard against false doctrine. Uh, there's, there's no one in my mind that I'm thinking, well, false doctrine, doctrine could creep in through that pastor or false doctrine could creep in through that teacher. I, I don't have anybody in mind this morning, but I know that we're men, that we're sinful, that we can be deceived. And I know that Satan is constantly attacking God's people and constantly sending those in and those messages in that will seek to deceive and lead us astray. So we each, from pastors all the way down to laymen need to be aware and vigilant to guard the doctrine of the church the second thing he, he notes and points out there the first he says those who come to you now how do they come to you they come in sheep's clothing so the outward appearance is the second thing we need to note the outward appearance of those who would come in and, and bring false teaching the false teaching of or the false prophet comes in and he's not wearing a t-shirt that a front, on the front has very plain and block, block letters, easy to read. He walks up and says, false prophet. He doesn't walk in through our halls and sit down in Sunday school and say, I like false teaching, right? He doesn't have that. It's not like tattooed on his forehead. No. Jesus describes him as looking just like everybody else. He comes in in, in sheep's clothing. Now, on the outside, he looks very much like us. He blends in. He's doing perhaps what everybody else is doing. He's kind of saying what everybody expects him or her to say. We might, as a matter of fact, be shocked at how kind of sheepish he looks. Sheepish like a sheep. How, how much like one of us he looks. He's just like one of us. Yet, he's teaching and proclaiming and forwarding and emailing and posting and retweeting false doctrine. Perhaps he may attend a Bible study. Maybe on the worship team, looking just like one of us. He may be involved in a Sunday school class there every week, devoted to Sunday school, devoted to coming and working through the lesson. Could serve on a task force. It looks like a sheep, outwardly. But inwardly is a ravenous wolf. So these false prophets can come in among us first. Second, their outward appearance is that of a sheep. And third, what does he say? What's the third statement he says in this verse? That inwardly, what are they? They're ravenous wolves. Inwardly, the inward reality is that they are ravenous wolves. So while looking like a sheep, they're actually a wolf that is seeking to kill and destroy. So the false prophet is not among God's people for our edification or protection. Instead, he is among God's people to be beat down, to devour, to destroy. The, the false teacher, she, she perhaps is not seeking to, to fellowship with other believers, not seeking to serve, not seeking to exalt the Lord. Instead, perhaps she is seeking to divide and manipulate. 
the false teacher comes and he, he's not teaching truth. He's not guarding sound doctrine, doctrine, but instead he's twisting truth. And he's sowing subtle seeds of false doctrine. Subtle seeds of false doctrine. But how do we know? How do we know when one looks so much like a sheep, yet they're actually a ravenous wolf? How do we know? Well, we know because of their fruit. We know because of their fruit. How do we know a a false prophet when he looks like just one of us? Verse 16, Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them by their fruits. Now, I want us to spend the rest of our time thinking about this. How do we know? How do we judge fruits? How do we learn to discern good fruit, bad fruit? What is godly fruit, ungodly fruit? If If he says you will recognize them, then we need to understand fruit so that we can understand how to recognize them. The bottom line is this, is that that we can't simply trust what we see on the outside. But we have to learn to discern the inward reality by looking at the fruit of people's lives. We have to look at that. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about that, the importance of, of, of having sound judgment anchored in God's word to be able to look and determine the fruit and see and observe the fruits of someone's lives. Listen, the, the false prophet may be a, a winsome communicator. He may be super trendy. He may have a, a magnetic disposition. He may be the person that you just want to be around, that you enjoy being around, that you just couldn't imagine it. But yet his fruit may be rotten. It may be rotten. And we cannot be deceived by external appearances when we look and we see that the fruit is rotten. The fruit is not fruit of godliness. Now, verse 16b to down to 20, if you look at the tail end of 16, he says, he says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. And then the way Jesus helps us think about this and understand is by calling on the natural order, the natural creation. He says, are, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A, a healthy tree cannot bear, bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. He draws on the, the natural order to speak spiritual truth. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, hey, listen, use your head. Use your head. I mean, just like I would walk into my backyard and, and see apples on the ground, I go, well, that's an apple tree. If I walk into the church and, and I see the fruit of someone's life being fruit of ungodliness, fruit of things contrary to the Scriptures, something that go contrary to the Gospel, contrary to God's truth, then I don't look and go, wow, that's ungodly fruit, but man, I sure am thankful for their godly teaching. Right? He says, use your head, look at the natural order and see what you see there and apply the same principle to what you see among your church, among your body. So here Jesus gives us two standards, two standards for using fruit to discern inward reality. The first one is in the beginning of verse 16. The question that we need to ask, is the fruit consistent with what is claimed? So is, is the fruit consistent with what is claimed. That's why he says we don't get grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. There's an inconsistency there. What we would expect and go, hey, that, that, that's a, a thistle. Wait, I, now I want a fig from there. No, that's not how it works. There's an inconsistency there and we need to learn to spot that. A plant does not produce fruit contrary to its nature and neither does a person. So it doesn't matter how passionately 
a person claims to be a Christian and a trustworthy teacher, if, if he or she produces fruit that is not consistent with the fruit described in Scripture, then he or she is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, let me just give you some ideas of what this looks like. I think I have five different ideas here. Yeah, five ideas of fruit that we should learn to discern that is inconsistent. Fruit that's commonly inconsistent. Here's the first one. Is, is perhaps someone comes and rather than leading you to serve the God of Scripture, they lead you to serve a false God. So there's one that is saying or acting as though they're leading you to worship the Lord. But instead, the fruit of their life is that they are leading you to worship someone or something else, perhaps them. They're leading, the way they act, the way they interact with you leads you to think more of them rather than more of the Lord. You can put a a reference here for Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 5. Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 5 talks about this. The second inconsistent fruit we need to look at is the one who would say and shout and say, hey, to God be the glory. God's glory alone. Soli Deo Gloria. And he says all of the right things. But hey, it's, it's all for God's glory. Yet, when you look at the fruit of their life, it is not all for God's glory. It's for the glory of his own name. The glory of his own church. The glory of his own platform. The glory of his own theological system. Whatever it might be, just plug it in. He's living not for God's glory, but for self-glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. This is a passage you can jot down and read later here. The third fruit inconsistency that we need to watch for is when one would claim to, to teach and lead you to trust the biblical gospel. Yet, when you look at the fruit, they're leading you towards a different gospel. They're leading you to trust something other than the biblical gospel. Paul deals with this in Galatians 1, 6-9. The, the fact that there's only one true gospel, there's one biblical gospel, yet others would put forth as something else, another gospel, perhaps something that is, that is laden with, with guilt, something laden with uh, uh, legalism, with the, all the works. You, you, it's the gospel plus something. It's, it's God's truth, God's grace plus, that, that you're saved by faith plus. There is no salvation by faith plus something. It is salvation by faith alone. By grace alone, in Christ alone. So you're not saved by Christ plus traditions. You're not saved by faith plus any kind of work. You're saved by God's grace. So if their teaching is contrary to the biblical gospel, then there's an inconsistency that you need to be aware of. Fourth, the inconsistency of looking at the, the, the fruit of the Spirit versus the fruit of the flesh. That one who is living for the Lord should show the qualities that are demonstrated and are, that are talked about by Paul in, in Galatians 6, 19 to 26, where, where Paul de- gives, gives a distinction between the, the, the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And, and you know, many of you know this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the flesh is opposed to that. The fruit of the flesh or deeds of the flesh or envy strife, anger, sexual immorality, just anything that is unrighteous, unholy, contrary to those things. Dissension, bringing disunity, argumentative, all of these type of things. If there is a, if there is a contrast, 
between what Scripture says is the fruit of the Spirit as opposed to how someone's living, the fruit of their life is inconsistent with that. Then radars should go off in our head. Finally, another inconsistency I believe you see in Ephesians 4, 1 through 7 is when we look and, and we see one who would profess to be a sound teacher, a follower of Christ, and instead of building unity, they're causing disunity and strife. It's problematic there. Throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, we see calls to build the unity of the body, to maintain the unity of the body. But when we see one who is bringing disunity, who is bringing discord, who is bringing brokenness to the body, then we need to beware and watch because it is an inconsistency in fruit that we need to be aware of. So the, the first question we need to ask is, is the fruit consistent with the person's claim, consistent with the message? Here's the second question we see in verses 17 and 18. Is the fruit of good quality? Is the fruit of good quality? The, the false prophet is, is kind of like one of those apples. This happened in the backyard. I went and I was like, man, this is a good-looking apple. And I, I picked the apple up and took a bite out of it. And when I took a bite out of it, I immediately spit it out. The, the, the pill looked wonderful. It looked great on the outside. But as soon as my teeth sunk into it, they sunk into it, right? It was nasty. It was rotten on the inside. That, that would be the, the false prophet. It's like an, an apple that looks good on the outside, but the inside is rotten. And so we need to look and say, is the fruit good? Jesus says that healthy trees produce good fruit. Diseased trees produce bad fruit. So what does this look like? What, what fruit should we learn to discern is rotten, although it may look really good on the outside? How do we cultivate that discernment? How do we know what to look for? Let, let me give you some ways with, that we see in our day that looks really good on the outside but it's rotten on the inside. Really good on the outside, but rotten on the out, out, inside. Here's the first way, is through music and songs. Through music and songs that they may be popular, they may be widely sung in churches across the land, they may be played on a Christian radio station, and so, oh, okay, let's play it. But yet, the songs are not godly. They're not doctrinally sound. They, they walk false teaching into the church. Now, you can even take this another step with songs. Songs that the song in and of itself is doctrinally sound. That the song and its particular words are good. But the artist or the writer outside of that is proclaiming false teaching. And that's problematic. Because that song may draw you and go, oh, I like that song. And then you start listening to more of that artist or you start going to where that song was produced and the church that it's sung in and you start listening to that preacher who's a false preacher who's proclaiming a false gospel. And you can easily fall into false teaching. So we need to be aware of the songs we sing. We need to be aware of who writes them. We need to have our ears attuned to the messages of songs. Don't just say, oh, well, it has a great beat. It sounds good. I like to sing it. It sounds great on the radio. This church sings it. That church sings it. That's not the qualification of what we sing. The qualification of what we sing is it biblically sound. Is it God-glorifying? Is it gospel-centered? And is the one who writes it and teaches around it, is he teaching true biblical doctrine? 
The second, second area we see the same thing is through a lot of curriculum, a lot of books. Curriculum that can come into the church that we just go, oh, well, here we go. This is a curriculum. I'm just going to bring it on in. We're going to teach it in Sunday school. We're going to use it in grace equipping or ladies Bible study or a men's group coming together. Or books. Hey, here's a book. This book, I walked into the Christian bookstore and it's right there. They have a big display. It's a wonderful display. I've heard of that guy. He's been writing for years and that's great. Well, those books, those curriculum, no matter how motivational they are, no matter how popular they are, no matter how widely read they are, may contain false teachings. And we need to be aware of what we're reading. We need to examine every book we read against the testimony of and the teaching of God's Word. The third area, speakers, preachers. Speakers and preachers who may be widely popular. They may be really dynamic. They may be, when you open up YouTube, they're just the ones that flash up on the right side of the screen. Or they may have podcasts that are great, you just really enjoy listening to. But yet they don't reverence God. They don't preach the true gospel. They don't rightly handle God's word. These are false teachers that we need to be aware of. They don't exalt God through their preaching. Then find someone else to listen to. And then finally, let's say pastors, teachers within the church who perhaps make you feel good Yet, they don't rightly divide the word of truth. They don't rightly teach God's word. They don't shepherd you as God's word says you should be shepherded. They don't come alongside you and care for you and and minister to you and walk with you. They don't preach the true gospel. They don't call you to personal holiness. Then you need to be aware that this may be one who's shiny on the outside, yet it's rotten within In verse 19, we move on and it's a word of warning, a word of warning not only for us but for false teachers. In verse 19, what does he say? He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is a word of warning, a word of impending judgment. It's a word of comfort to those of us who are believers because it tells us that there will be a day that false teachers are removed. That their end will come. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, John's warning to the Pharisees and Sadducees sounds very similar. He said, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What John's saying there is God's judgment is coming. You who are proclaiming false doctrine, who are teaching the false truth, you will be eliminated, you will be cut down. God's wrath and his punishment will be upon you. Now listen, I, I want to just end by encouraging you in this and appealing to you in this. That as believers, we are not to tolerate false teaching in the church. It's not something that we just shrug our shoulders about. It's not something that we look and go, oh, bless his heart. When we see false teaching, we have to confront it. We have to deal with it. I just want to give you a few references that you can look at. We don't have time to look at all these. But I want to give you a few points of reference. Some we've mentioned already. The first one in Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 5. 
This is a passage where, where God tells his people that even if a prophet comes among you and he's doing great signs and great wonders that are coming true, he's actually doing it. You look and you go, wow, that's amazing. But yet he calls you to worship and to serve a different God other than Scripture, then you have nothing to do with him. You have nothing to do with him. So it doesn't matter how much he's doing, what mighty things he's performing. If it is leading you away from the one true God, then you have nothing to do with him, God says. And we read on in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 18, God says something else about false teachers. Deuteronomy 18, 21 to 22, he, he says that if a person speaks in the name of the Lord and it never comes true, he says this is what God says, this is what God's doing, this is what you need to know, and it's not true, and it never comes true, then you don't listen to him. You don't listen to him. In Matthew 24, 22 to 25, Jesus warns that, that false prophets and false Christs will appear. They will do great signs, great wonders. But you know why? You know what Jesus says? He says that the reason that they will do those things is to lead God's elect astray. To lead us astray. And he says, be careful. Watch for them. Do not listen to them. Again, I would just point out that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they say there will be those who come and they do indeed do great signs and wonders. But yet we come back and we we, we discern whether they're false or true by what? By the Word. By the Word. Are they consistent with God's truth? It's not just that they do great things. What are they teaching? What are they teaching? They're seeking to persuade, seeking to lead astray. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 12 to 15, Paul confronts false prophet, pro, apostles and he tells us that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So why would we think that one might not be disguised and a false teacher might not try to come in and rise up among us and lead us astray? We need to be aware. We need to be aware. We need to be observant. We need to recognize. In Galatians 1, 6-9, we mentioned that earlier. But here, Paul says, if anyone anyone and he said in fact he says even an angel even an angel if anyone comes among you even if an angel comes and says anything and preaches anything uh, that is contrary to the true biblical gospel and he says let him be accursed let him be an anathema right I mean this is the passage every time you read it you just want to go hey all of our Mormon friends would you read this please like, if an angel comes among you and preaches something contrary to the gospel, then let him be accursed. It is false. It is a lie. It is not truth. 1 Timothy 6, 3-5. Paul talks about those who would feign godliness as a means of gain, but they actually teach false doctrine. Beware of those who, who would pretend and look godly, but instead they're doing so for, for gain. Watch them. Be aware of them. I do, in our few moments that we have, I do want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 is in the back of the New Testament, just a few books before Revelation. I want you to look at what Peter writes here. As Peter's writing to God's people, and he's just said in chapter 1, he talks about 
how, I'll just read this while you're flipping there. He says that in verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 20, he says that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 2, what he does out of that is he goes then to say and to speak on and to warn them of false teachers. And I just want you to hear in chapter 2 the way that Peter describes false teachers. We're going to start reading in verse 1. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Again, Peter is very clear. He's very blatant there. That there will be false teachers that come among in our midst. It's not just out there. They will come among us. They will come to us. He says they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves a swift destruction. And many, listen to this, many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation for long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. You see how he describes them? You, you see their, their heresies are destructive. They would deny Jesus. They would deny the master. I mean, this has come in all ways, shapes, and forms in the past. It's come very subtly. Oh, Jesus does not have to be your Lord. He can just be your Savior. You can just be saved, and then you can live however you want to because you were saved 15 years ago. It doesn't matter. You've been saved. Just live as an out-and-out pagan now. No. Scripture does not present that. Scripture presents that we confess Christ as Lord, we serve Him as Lord, we submit to Him as Lord. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. A tree is known by its fruit. Jesus will say that later in Matthew. We'll get to that. Right now He's talking about false prophets are known by their fruit. They're known by their fruit. One who would say, oh yeah, Jesus is my Savior, he's not my Lord, but their fruit is absolutely contrary to that. It's problematic. They bring destructive heresies. They deny Christ, the Master, the Lord. They deny him. They, they lead many. In verse 2, many will follow their sensualities. Do you remember two weeks ago when we looked at the previous warning to beware of the wide gate? We talked about don't always follow the majority the danger of just following the majority just because a lot of people believe it a lot of people like it a lot of people sing it that's not why we like it believe it sing it right we examine everything with scripture he goes on in verses 4 through 10 we won't read these verses but essentially what he says in these verses he says that we can trust God to deal with it if we can trust God to have maintained and to, to judge those in ungodliness, to preserve Noah, if we can trust God to work and to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, if we can trust God to do all that he's done that we've seen in the Old Testament, then we can trust God to bring punishment and judgment on the ungodly and to rescue the godly. And then we pick up in verse 10. Halfway through verse 10, he says, bold and willful. He's talking about false prophets. Bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. They're confident in this. They're just confident. He says, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord, but these, like irrational, irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which 
they're ignorant. They're, they're just speaking to things that they know nothing of. And they're blaspheming. They're teaching false doctrines. They never sat and studied it. They do not know anything about it, and they're teaching about it. He says they will be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They, they sit with you. They fellowship with you, but they're deceiving you. Their eyes, listen to how they're described again. Their eyes are full of adultery. They have lustful eyes. They're insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. Again, why is it important for you to know the word? Why is it important to be growing in God's truth? Because false teachers feast on those who are weak, on those who do not know the truth. Grow in the truth. Don't be an unsteady soul. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, he says. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. But was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now listen to how he describes them to finish out. He says, these are waterless springs. They're mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom. But they themselves are slaves to corruption. That's a pretty good description of false teachers. We need to be aware. We need to be observant. We need to be students of the word. We need to know the fruit of God's word. We need to know the fruit of God's presence in our lives. We need to know the fruit of the spirit. That we can discern good fruit from unhealthy fruit. Godly fruit from ungodly fruit. We need to take to heart the words that Jude said in Jude verses 3 and 4 where he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once, and all delivered, once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude writes and he, he warns of false teaching. Again, you can read the book of Jude later. Jude later. But he's warning of false teaching. And what does he say in the midst of that? He says, listen, I was going to write to you about our common salvation. I was going to rejoice. But I, I looked and I saw the false teachers. And I knew I had to write this to you. And what does he tell them? He says, contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. How do you contend for the faith if you don't know what the faith is? How do you contend for the gospel? How do you stand firm in the gospel if you don't know what the gospel is? How do you stand firm in the truth if you don't know what the truth is? We need to know what the truth of God's word is. We need to contend for the gospel, stand firm in the gospel, contend for the faith, stand firm in the faith. We need to watch for wolves in sheep's clothing. We have to beware of false prophets. And this is not, it is not a passive affair. It's not something that we just shrug our shoulders at and go, we'll be okay. We need to recognize fruit. We need to know the truth. We need to discern. We need to discern truth from a lie. So I want to leave you with just three questions this morning. Three questions. Here's the first one. 
Have I been or am I being deceived by false teaching? Are you sitting here as one who's been deceived by false teaching? Maybe through a book you read, maybe through a podcast you listen to, maybe through a teacher you sit under. Who's not teaching true biblical truth? Have I been or am I deceived by false teaching? Number two, how am I guarding myself from false teaching and doctrine? What are, what are you doing to guard yourself from false teaching? Are you reading the Word? Are you studying the Word? Or is this the only time you hear the Word when you come and sit in Sunday school or when you hear me or one of the other pastors preach? How are you guarding yourself from false teaching and doctrine? And then the third question, how am I guarding our church from false teaching and doctrine? How am I guarding our church? Remember, Jesus said they will come into you. They will come among you. What are you doing to guard Grace Baptist Church from false teaching and false doctrine? I know, I know some of you sitting here today, you're unbelievers. And, and maybe you, you sit and say, well, I mean, why is this important? What does this matter to me? Well, I would say it matters in this. If you're sitting here as an unbeliever, you need to know that there are a lot of messages coming at you. There are a lot of lies coming at you. But there is truth. There is truth. In, in 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul describes God's word as the Holy Scriptures that make you wise unto salvation. It's, it's through the truth of God's word, the special revelation of God through his word in Christ that you are made wise unto salvation. And so if you're depending on something outside of Scripture to save you, if you're depending on something outside of Scripture to give you hope, to give you assurance, to make things right, to give you something to stand upon when you pass from this life and stand before your Creator, then you've been deceived. You're buying into false teaching. And, and I would appeal to you to come and speak to one of our pastors or someone you're here with and ask, what is the gospel? What is the good news that Scripture proclaims? I mean, Scripture tells very clearly, the story of Scripture is that God is a holy God who created all things. He is the Lord of all creation. He reigns supreme. And he created man in his image. He created man good, but man rebelled against him. And because of man's rebellion, man had to be punished because God is a holy and a just God. And the wages of sin, the punishment for sin is death. Sin brings death, separation, it brings brokenness from God. And there's nothing we can do to remove that sin. There's nothing we can do to pay for the debt we owe as sinners. We're all sinners. All of us are born sinners and all of us choose to sin. And God knew this. He knew that there was nothing we could do on our own. There was no sacrifice we could make. Man cannot pay for his own sins. And so knowing this, God sends his one and only son, Jesus, eternally God, comes. The word became flesh. He took on flesh and he dwelled among us and we beheld his glory, glory as of the Father. He revealed grace. He revealed truth to us. 
He lived a perfect life. And he came to die, to give his life as a ransom for many, it says, to pay the price of sin, to die on a cross in our place. And he rose again three days later that all who would believe in him, all who would call in the name of the Lord, who believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and confess their mouth that Jesus is Lord, all will be saved. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what scripture proclaims. And if someone tells you there's something else that you do to be saved, if there's another name or something you add to that message, that there's something you add to, simple, simply turning in faith to Christ as Lord, if they add to that, if they take away from that, it is a false gospel. Salvation is in Christ, in Christ alone. That is the truth you need to know this morning. And our prayer is that you would submit to Christ as Lord that you would call out in faith to him, understanding your need for him. So as we pray this morning, if that's you and you want to trust Christ, I would pray, I would pray and ask you to look unto the Lord and trust him in faith and come talk to one of us, whether it's here or out there later. We would love to speak to you. And I would say as we pray and as we stand, the worship teams will come up to close us out. And as they do, we're going to sing, Lord, I need you. And the reality is, is that we, each and every one of us, we need the Lord to give us wisdom and discernment to know the truth from a lie. Let's pray. Father, we bow as your people this morning. And God, we pray that you would indeed guard us from false teaching, that you would indeed give us wisdom to discern truth from lies, to, to discern good fruit from unhealthy fruit, godly fruit from ungodly fruit. Lord, help us not to be deceived by those in sheep's clothing who are ravenous wolves. So God, as Grace Baptist, we ask that you would guard this church from false teaching. And we pray that every message proclaimed from this pulpit would exalt your name and faithfully teach and preach your word. And we pray that every lesson that's taught in every Bible study would do the same. We pray that every book we read would lead us to exalt you and not man. Lord, would you please guard the teaching of this church. Use us, pastors, deacons, teachers, everyone, lay people. God, use us to guard the doctrine of this church. Grow us in you. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.